Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 2 Timothy. I say, Brother Tim, you're preaching from Tim. Yep. <laughs> 2 Timothy, chapter number 2. The message this evening, I'm, I'm well aware that oftentimes when I preach, I tend to preach with a bit of a heavy hand. And this evening, Lord willing, will be more a message of encouragement than anything. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. If you found your place, I ask that you stand for the reading of the word of God. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. I want to reread verse number three there, because that's going to be where we focus this evening. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as I come before your throne this evening, God, I feel so unworthy to open your word. Lord, I can't preach this evening. I can't do anything unless you show up. God, I ask that you would cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your spirit this evening. Lord, speak to each and every heart. Make us less like you and more like yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a news flash this evening. Life's not easy. You go, no, duh. <laughs> As we go through life, there's challenges that come and meet us. We get out of more, get out of bed Monday morning, step on a Lego. There's problems that arise. You're at work and you get a call. The pipes have busted at the house. The air conditioning has gone awry. Whatever the case may be, the refrigerator has stopped working when you come home from vacation. Been there. <laughs> But there's just issues that affect each and every one of us as we go through life. And you say, how do we deal with it? It's so overwhelming. Can we keep going? It seems as if God is pressing down upon us, as the Apostle Paul put it, that we are pressed down, overwhelmed, beyond strength. And it gets to the point to where we say, I just want to stop. I want to give up. I want to quit this verse here. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We get in this mindset, especially in our youth. I think back past 10 years of my life as my faith has become my own, stepping out from under my parents' shadow and truly seeing the word of God become my life, truly seeing it become my church instead of just something I tagged along with my parents to do. And I think of the stands that I determined to take. And it's so easy in our youth to look and say, you know what? It doesn't matter what comes. I'm going to stand. To be like David and say, is there not a cause? To stand there and say, it doesn't matter. None of these things move me. I'm going to do what God has put in my heart to do. I'm not going to back down from this decision that I've made. But then life comes. We begin to realize the cost of taking that stand. We get friends along the way that they say, you know what? If you walk down that path, you're walking alone. If you go down that way, I'm not going with you. I'm not going to take that stand. If you do that, you're on your own. 
we realize that perhaps the stand that we take could cost us our job. Depending on what career you're in, you realize that there are legal repercussions. And we are seeing this played out in our own country today. Pastor out in California, Pastor Jack Treber, our songbooks, our blue books come from that church. Dean fined $50,000 a week simply to sing in church. We realize that the stands that we take, we might have to face those legal repercussions and realize that we might get fined. Might even face jail time. It's coming. We realize that even eventually, we may be killed for our faith. All around this world, I think especially of China, of those churches that they meet in secret, They can't have an open church building like this and just invite anyone off the street to come in because they are in fear of their very lives simply for meeting together in the name of Jesus Christ. Recently, the Chinese churches were told to renounce Christ and to name their leader, I can't think of his name right now, but to name him as their God. Churches in uh, Sudan and in Asia, through all this coronavirus silliness, think of it what you will, They have been told that unless they renounce their faith and turn back to Islam, they will not get the relief of government aid. All around the world, persecution is taking place in the church. And it is on its way to this country. It's starting in California. Every liberal thing always does. And then it spreads Maryland, Virginia, and before you know it, the nation. It's on its way even here to the Bible Belt. But we get to that place where we're willing just to go along with the flow. We don't want to rock the boat. We're afraid of the consequences if we stand up. We're afraid we might have to face that fiery furnace because we refuse to bow. In order to soothe our conscience when the Holy Spirit says, hey, you know that's not right. You know you made that decision ten years ago to stand up. You know you made that decision to follow God no matter what the cost was. We say, well, that was a different time. We justify what were our actions in our minds simply to soothe our conscience. And we are not willing to endure the hardness that comes into our lives. All around us, we see fair weather Christians. I was talking to Brother Fred a couple, three weeks ago about fair weather Christians and foul weather Christians. It has been my observation. Those are two of the most common types. A fair weather Christian is one that only sticks around when the going is good. That when the going gets tough, they've ran and hid somewhere. You can't find them. And then all of a sudden, when when the trouble is passed, oh, it's good to be back in church. The foul weather Christian, in case you're wondering, is the exact opposite. You never see them unless something is going wrong in their life. 911, what's your emergency? We see the parable of the seed and the sower being played out before us. The thorny ground that the seed was sown upon It sprang up until it ran into those thorns and then it withered away. As soon as the problems rose up, as soon as they faced the least little bit of difficulty, they said, it's not worth it. They were not willing to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What is our response to this coming hardness that we must face? When the time comes and we face the storm, will we be willing to stand up despite the cost? I want to encourage you this evening How to prepare to endure hardness. Will we run away when the trouble comes? Will we, like those Christians in Sudan that were turning back to Islam, renounce our faith 
and say, all right, you know what? I'll worship God in private. I don't have to be in church to meet with God. And it's true, we don't. I can just pray in my little prayer closet. I can read my Bible and then go out my door and no one will ever know. Is there not a cause to stand for right? We must decide now what we will do when that time comes. It's been said that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If we do not determine within our hearts, purpose within our hearts, as Daniel puts it, the stand that we will take, when the time comes and we face the fire, we won't be found. So how do we prepare for hardness this evening? Number one, we prepare for our hardness by growing our faith. The book of Second Peter, chapter number one, Peter begins to give a laundry list of things that we are to add to our faith. He says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue diligence. And he goes on and lists seven things, seven castles that we are to build in our faith, so to speak. Strongholds to where we won't back down. But you say, how, how do we do that? By becoming more like Christ. When we become more like Christ, we'll display that fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned in Galatians chapter number 5. We won't have to worry about the storms that are coming because we'll have that peace that passes all understanding. It's still going to be hard. I won't lie. But God gives us that strength to be able to stand up, as the Apostle Paul said, though no man stood with me, to be able to take that fortification within our hearts that God has given us and to be able to go forth despite the cost. It was noted that the disciples had been with Jesus in the book of Acts. When we spend time with Christ, when we get more like Him, the world's going to notice it. It's going to put a bullseye on our back. But the Bible tells us, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Grow your faith so that when the devil starts to throw those fiery darts, you've got that shield. We grow our faith by exercising it. Recently, as my wife and I, throughout the course of this year, have been preparing to try to adopt, as the government allows, <laughs> we had to take a class called, called Tenki. It's teaching you how to be a foster parent. One of the things in that class is called a circle of security between the foster parent and the child. And it gives the idea that as the child grows, you allow them more freedom. They go out. And then they come back as they've explored and they are able to grow because they've gotten the strength to go farther. That is the same way that we're supposed to grow in our Christian life and exercise our faith. We step out a little bit and say, hey, you know what? God let me stand here. He provided for me in this case. He can do it again. Let's see how much farther we can go. And we just keep following him throughout our life and growing our faith, exercising it, reaching new heights, and new depths that we've never seen before. Number two, we prepare to endure hardness by preparing others. Here in our text, verse number two, those things which thou hast learned of me, commit thou also to faithful men who shall be able to teach it to others also. It's on another page if I quoted that wrong page one. I'm not using New Kings, I promise. We prepare others, and in so doing, we prepare ourselves. Why, why do we prepare them though? We prepare them, number number one, so that they're equipped. I, I remember a picture that I've seen. It shows two mice walking along. You see the back of them. One is a granddad. The other is a small child. And there's a trap ahead. The granddad's got about five or six traps on his head. 
And he's showing him how to avoid the trap. We commit those things to other men. We prepare them by showing them the traps that we've walked through. By saying, you know what? Let me show you how to avoid this because I fell into that. I got into that mess and God got me out of it. Let me tell you how to avoid it in the first place because it leads to nothing but trouble. We prepare others so that they are equipped for life. But we prepare others also so that we are reminded of the truths that we have learned. It's been said the best way to learn something is to teach it to someone else. I think back to my career as I've trained other people in various jobs, and it very much holds true. The more that I taught people, the more I realized and remembered for myself, and the better I was able to do my job. We prepare others so that our convictions are not lost to time. Ronald Reagan made the comment that we are one generation away from losing our freedom. The same is true for our spiritual aspect, our spiritual life. If convictions are not passed down to the next generation, they become beliefs. Beliefs become preferences. Preferences become opinions. And before you know it, our Christian life is just a joke. That's pretty much where we're at today because we've not passed our convictions on. There was a time when this word of God meant everything to us. When we held it dear, when we couldn't wait to get in the word of God and read it, to see what God had for us. Now we're more worried about what's on television. Number next, we prepare to endure hardness by not loving this world's pleasure. Verse number four of our text, and no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You say, well, what are you saying, Brother Tim? We've got to take a hammer out and hit our car windows, bust them all out, knock our windows down at the house, just make it to where we don't love it that way? No, that's not what I'm saying. Y'all know this. We don't love the things of this world by loving Christ, by being willing to sacrifice all and follow him. We don't have to sell everything that we own and go out and live in a monastery somewhere, never bathing, just wearing a rough spun, yeah, Y'all know what I'm talking about, the monks. The rough spun wool cloaks. That's not what Christ called us to do. He called us to be in the world, but not of the world. There's nothing wrong with owning things or having great possession. But the problem comes when we allow those to interject themselves between us and our God. When we allow them to have the preeminence in our life and say, you know what, I'll do anything to get that new car. What is that one possession, that one hobby that we have that we're willing to give everything for? Has it become between us and Christ? Are we willing to give it up so that we may follow Him? Are we in love with this world more than our Savior? The more that we love this world, the less we can love God. But the more that we love our God, the less we will love this world. Number next. We prepare to endure hardness by striving lawfully. Verse number five. And if a man also strive for mastery, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. This verse here, it's not saying that we have to keep every facet of the Levitical law. That's not what it's talking about. When it says strive lawfully, the church that my wife and I attended in West Virginia, the teen boys had a favorite hobby, wrestling around in the fellowship hall. 
In order to be in that wrestling match, it had certain rules. No kicks, no punches, no hitting below the belt, and no hitting each other in the face. If you did any of those things, you were disqualified. You did not strive lawfully. You did not obey the rules. You were disqualified. This verse here, if a man strive also for masteries, he's not crowned except he strive lawfully. You think of an athlete that has disqualified himself by using steroids or by breaking the rules in some other way. He's not crowned. Uh, the guy that always won Tour de France got all of his trophies taken away. I can't think of his name, but that's the one. He lost his trophies because he did not strive lawfully. He was not crowned. You say, well, what are the rules for the Christian life? More specifically, there's a passage. It's the qualifications of a pastor. In order to be a pastor, you must meet those qualifications. But you don't have to be a pastor to meet them. It's a pretty good rule to be able to follow them throughout your life, whether you're a pastor or not. You say, but I've already broken some of them. Thank God for grace. The qualifications for our for our life is this rule book right here. Number next, we prepare to endure hardness by learning our weapon. You think of a situation in which a soldier is taken from boot camp and placed onto the battlefield. Because of the time that he has spent in boot camp, he is prepared to face the adversities that are there. He's trained for the many long weeks, depending on what branch he's in, varying degrees of punishment. And now he's ready to face those battles. But if he was to take a new recruit before they ever got through boot camp, stuck him out in the battlefield, said, here you go, here's an M16, have fun. He's not going to make it very far. <laughs> he's not been through the physical conditioning that they require to be able to be a soldier. He hasn't learned his weapon, and so he's going to be an inefficient soldier one of the things that a soldier has to be able to do is strip down his weapon, field strip it, and reassemble it. We should be able to do the same with our Word of God, not necessarily take this cover off and be able to sort all the pages out, but we should know it inside out. Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. We're to know our weapon inside out. In order to guard against sin, that verse that I just quoted, that I might not sin against thee but also to defend our faith. It's kind of hard to battle if you don't have your sword and you can't always carry a Bible around with you everywhere you go. How else are you going to carry it if you don't have it in your heart? But also to recognize falsehood. When a bank teller is being trained, they are given real money and told to process it and just gradually they slip in a counterfeit bill here and there. And as soon as they feel it, they instantly recognize it because they know the truth. That is the reason we should know our Bibles inside out. We should know the doctrines that are in there. That way when someone says something, immediately the Spirit says, hey, that's not right. There's something about that that just doesn't sound right. may not be able to quite put our finger on it, but immediately we'll know that's, that's not biblical. Number next, we prepare for hardness by remembering past victories. The Apostle Paul said that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience, and experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Once you've gone through it, you've learned. You're able to look back and say, hey, God brought me through that before. He can do it again. He's given me victory in the past. He's still with me. He's still the same God. 
His power is not limited. He can still deliver me in this situation. He did it for others. He was able to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. He was able to save the children of Israel from the Red Sea from Moses. Or from Pharaoh. <laughs> he did it for them. He can do it for us. Number next, by resting but not quitting. There's times that we all get weary. Book of Galatians says, let us not be weary in well-doing, but our bodies are flesh. He remembereth our frame that we are dust. There's times when we just can't go on anymore, physically speaking. And we have to kind of take a step back and say, you know what? I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. But I'm going to rest for a little bit, regain my strength. That way I can keep going. I think of David's troops after Ziklag, their city was burned with fire and their wives and children were taken captive. They came to a river and half of his troops said, you know what? We can't go on like this. We're done. We're tired. We physically can't keep going. And so he allowed them to remain there and rest. And he and the other soldiers continued on. There's times where we've got to take, just take a step back and say, you know what? I'm not giving up on God, but I'm going to take some time with the Lord. Get away for a little while and regain my spiritual strength, regain my physical strength to be able to keep pressing forward. Quitters never win. You say, no, duh. No, really, it's true. <laughs> if we quit in our spiritual life, there's blessings and crowns that we're going to miss out on. We'll still have our salvation, but there's so many blessings and things that God wants to give us that we're going to miss out on. Part of enduring is to stay in the fight when everything in you wants to give up. Never quit on God. He's not done a single thing to you to make you quit. It's His will for you to keep going. Jesus said to Peter that I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. He knew what Peter was getting ready to face. He knew that Peter was going to want to quit. But he said, I don't want you to give up. Rest if you have to, but don't quit. Number next. By considering the price that others have paid. We stand here today because of the blood of martyrs. We hold this King James Bible because of the blood of martyrs. William Tyndale burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. His last words, last reported words. Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. So many times we take for granted the things that God has allowed us to have. And we forget the price that has been paid for us to be able to stand here today, whether it's the blood of soldiers or the blood of martyrs. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us therefore. Number next. By remembering it's our marching orders. There's times in the Christian life where we've just lost our zeal. Our passion for God is gone. We've grown weary in well-doing. And you say, you know what? I'm just coming to church because it's habit. I'm just coming because I know it's the right thing to do. And for no other reason. But don't lose that zeal forever. Get it back. Ask God to give you that zeal once more to ignite the fire within your soul and to fall in love with Him all over again. Number last. We prepare to endure hardness by looking for that blessed hope. This isn't the end. 
the worst that they can do to us is kill us. Fear not him that is able to harm the body. Book of Hebrews chapter number 13 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. There's two passages I want to read and we'll close. Book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. The Apostle Paul is writing about the coming of Christ. He says, We have in this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Sounds like he was kind of enduring some hardness there. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Skip down just a few verses there. and It's talking, says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. He was looking for that blessed hope. Book of Titus, chapter number two. And we'll close. Verse number 11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We're to endure hardness, folks. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. He's coming back. We don't have to worry about the hardness that we're going to face. It won't be easy. But it's not the end. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed as the pianist comes. There's struggles of this life. That's that's no illusion. We all know it. But the question is, what's going to happen on the other side of that? Are we going to be able to endure the hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Or are we going to say, you know what, it's, it's not worth the price? Are we willing to keep going and to keep looking for that blessed hope? Heavenly Father, as we come before you this evening, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're coming back. But Lord, we thank you that we don't have to go through hardness alone if we must face it. Lord, I ask that you would speak to hearts this evening. Deal with each and every one in this room, I pray in Jesus' name.